Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. G'day, welcome back. Darren Mitchell here, and you're listening to another episode of the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast coming to you live today from the Macedon Rangers in Victoria, a beautiful part of the world, a very cold part of the world, on this Monday, the 26th of June, 2023. Trust you've had a fantastic weekend, and I trust you and your team have enjoyed a very fruitful last couple of weeks. Um, if you're an avid follower of the podcast, you'll probably know that there hasn't been a podcast for a couple of weeks. And I do apologize, uh, been a bit of a drought the last couple of weeks, been flat out doing workshops, coaching and masterclasses, which is uh, which is fantastic. You have been working with some phenomenal people, uh, but unfortunately it meant that I uh, I couldn't necessarily get onto the microphone and record some podcasts. So uh, we're back, first day of the week, and hopefully out of the podcast today, there might be something in it for you to grab hold of, hopefully pay forward to your team. And hopefully this will be of value to you. So as we begin the brand new week, quick reminder that if you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. Press the follow button on the Apple platform or I think it's subscribe on pretty much every other platform. And if you can do me a favor as well and rate the show, that'll be greatly appreciated because it makes it a lot easier for others to find the show who are searching for content around sales and sales leadership to more readily and more easily find the podcast on the various platforms. So uh, thank you for that. And thank you for plugging into the podcast. Thanks for listening in because I get lots of feedback, lots of conversations, lots of notes that I get sent. Uh, and it's really fascinating that often I'll be running a, running a workshop or having conversations with somebody and, and they just out of the blue say, hey, I listened to your podcast the other day about this particular topic or that particular um, person. And because uh, as a podcast, you don't actually know who is listening, who is plugged in. And I certainly don't have any visibility as to who is subscribed other than all the download numbers, which are, which are fantastic. And we're now in 76 countries, which uh, when I started three years ago, it was almost like, are you kidding me? I've got people from the Northern northern Hemisphere listening into some Aussie guy talking about sales. Never would have thought about that in my wildest dream. So greatly appreciate it. And I will continue to do this for as long as there is a message and for as long as there are people out there who are willing to receive that message. So greatly appreciate you plugging in. So as we begin this week, I wanted to talk about a, uh, a really interesting topic. And it's a topic that I'm very, very big on. And it's a topic that I've learned to deal with and form a philosophy around over many years in sales. And there's been a number of examples, a number of situations where this particular topic has been brought to the surface on many, many occasions. And the topic of this particular episode is very similar, if not the same as the topic I posted on LinkedIn over the weekend, and that is the sale actually doesn't start until after the sale is made. Now, what I love to do is um, I love asking teams, and particularly sales teams, about what their perceptions are around sales. Now, many of them, especially those not directly involved in a sales role, often have less than savory things to say about salespeople, and it's anything from, oh, I don't like pushy salespeople, they're very sleazy, they use the sleight of hand, um, they try to direct your attention over here, and then the other, and the other, with the other hand, they're trying to remove your watch or your bracelet. Uh, very, very dodgy. And some even say, you know, they're sleazy, they're untrustworthy, um, inauthentic. I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to deal with a salesperson because whenever I go into any environment where there's a salesperson involved, I've always got my defensive mechanisms 
uh, place. And what's interesting is very, very rarely do I ever hear any positive perceptions about sales. And this is even coming from sales people, which is really disappointing because you look at the oldest professions on the planet and sales is one of, if not the oldest profession that exists. And when I'm talking to these teams, even when they're not in a sales role per se, and they don't necessarily have a sales target or some form of key objectives, which is often associated with hitting numbers or delivering specific outcomes, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that every single person in every single organization is in sales. Now, even as you're listening to this, and you may not necessarily be in a direct sales role, although chances are you are, because otherwise, why would you be listening to the exceptional sales leader? But just, just for argument's sake, you're not in a direct sales role, or you're working with people who are not necessarily in a direct sales role. Whenever there's a level of influence that is involved, and any organization that is highly matrixed, or any organization that is more than one person, there is a sales transaction that happens pretty much every day. It may not necessarily be a service or a product that is involved, but there'll be certainly ideas, strategies, tactics that are involved, conversations that have to happen, negotiations. All of these are sales-related conversations, and at the end of the day, every single person, irrespective of what your title is, is in sales. And my belief is if we can get more and more people to recognize that and treat the sales game for what it is, and that is it can be authentic, it can be filled with integrity, then maybe, just maybe we'll get better results, maybe we'll get more consistent results, and through the process, maybe the, I guess, the perception that people have around sales may actually change. But also, I'm an eternal optimist, so I'm wishing that that will happen. And everything that I do is geared around helping, I guess, build another brick in the in the big cathedral that hopefully will change the perception that people have around sales. Now, part of this is when I sit down and work with sales teams or work with operational teams, I often share with teams that sales is the ultimate form of service. And when you look at it at its core, what is sales really? It's problem solving. Now, where sales potentially gets a bad rap is when people have so much of a focus on their own product or their own service, they're looking for potential customers so that their service and product can be retrofitted into a perceived need that a customer, a potential customer has. If we recognize that sales is the ultimate form of service but can only be provided if there is a problem that can be identified in the marketplace, and as an extension of that, the good salesperson will be able to articulate that problem probably better than the potential customer can so that in the customer's mind, they must believe that there's a solution to that particular problem that the person providing the service may have. Now, it's at this point where the ultimate form of service comes into it because it's no longer about pushing a product or a service onto a particular person. It's simply giving the opportunity for them to explore whether or not they would like a solution to fix that problem. Now, most of the salespeople think they have got this best, they've got the best product on the marketplace. And look, you've got to believe in your product. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. You've got to know about your product. You've got to know how it fits into the marketplace. You've got to know what problem it solves. And you don't have to know all the features and so forth of the product. But also understand that your customer does not want your product. They're not interested in your product. They're not going to be actively searching for your product. So get over the fixation with your product. Where we need to get really good at is understanding, first and foremost, once a problem has been identified, does the customer, potential customer, actually want that problem to be solved, first and foremost? And if the answer to that question is yes, they do, and they're actively looking for a solution, then I'd be doing them a disservice if I didn't at least give them the opportunity of reviewing a potential solution that I might have. 
then this is where the sale actually starts to ramp up. Now, it's no longer about flogging the product. It's simply about looking at what are the key problem areas that the customer is looking to solve and what is it that my potential product and service can do to fit that problem. So what is that? It's like a hand in a glove or a, or a jigsaw puzzle. Too many salespeople go too heavily at all the features and benefits and wonder why their customers are becoming overwhelmed and why their customers are giving them objection after objection. Now, the key point about all this is we'd be doing them a disservice if we didn't at least give them the opportunity to review what we have to offer. But we need to understand that not every single customer is going to qualify for what we have. And our and our thought process has to be, hey, we, just, we don't give this product out just about everybody. We have to give these products to and these services to the people who qualify for them. So it's no longer us trying to push a product or a service onto a customer. It's us now starting to qualify whether this customer potentially qualifies for what we have to offer. And it's a completely different mindset, which I often describe as more of a pulling mechanism rather than a pushing mechanism. And this is one of the reasons why I'm very big on this philosophy that sales is the ultimate form of service. And it can not only be a lucrative profession, it can also be a profession of very high integrity, authenticity, and trust. And one of the key pillars around this is the understanding that the sale does not actually start until after the sale is made. Now, when I say that to many teams, and particularly sales teams, I very often get a bit of a quizzical look, thinking, well, what do you mean the sale starts after the sale is made? Because if I get the sale, I get the sale, and I move on to the next sale. And so well, that's one way to look at it. But when, I, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about building a long-term uh, strategy and a long-term relationship with customers, even in commodity-type industries where a lot of the sales are just a one-off type of thing. This same principle applies. Now, I wanted to share a story, and I often share this story with people that I'm working with and with sales teams, and, and, I'll, and I, won't, I won't reveal the names of the people, and I certainly won't reveal the name of the organization, but suffice to say that many, many years ago, this is back in 2008, purchased a brand new car, and that car happened to be a Volkswagen Passat. Now, I went through a fairly rigorous uh, review process. I was looking at the Subaru Liberty I was looking, obviously, at the Passat, looked at the BMW 3 Series, and I looked at the brand new Mercedes C-Class, which just being released back in 2008, and test drove them all, had some good experiences, but when it all came in, came down to it, I really liked the Passat for what it had to offer, um, and it certainly suited our needs as a family at that particular time. So leading up to the final, and this, this process probably took about six to eight weeks um, all up from the time that I was really interested to the time that I finally uh, put the put the pen to paper and signed the contract. So, what was fascinating about this is, and this is a this is a story that I relay to all salespeople that I come in contact with as a reminder of what not to do. Because when you think about this concept that the sale begins after the sale is made, the experience I had with this particular Volkswagen dealership did anything but that. And leading up to the final decision. The salesperson and the sales manager were all over me. Now, I didn't necessarily, in the early part of my review process, let them know that I was in sales or that I was running a sales team at the time. But in the process of purchasing a new car, I also wanted to do a bit of a stress test in terms of the sales process just to see what the experience was going to be like uh, and whether there was anything I might have been able to learn that I could pay forward to my sales team, even though we're in completely different industries. Now, when I talk about them being all over me, they were contacting me probably at the pointy end towards the back end of the decision-making process, probably every couple of days, uh, just to check in, hoping that I was creeping closer to a purchasing decision. It was also an opportunity for me just to check to see whether there was anything else that I could push them on in terms of any other features, anything they could throw in, maybe 
reduce the cost of the car uh, a little bit further. But um, finally got to the stage where it was just a matter of getting the finance in and I was ready to make the decision. So I was very happy with, with the car. It was certainly, I'd done all my due diligence and by far that was the, I guess, the best suited car for our needs. Now, in the all the, in all the lead up, and I say when they were checking in, I've got to say that they weren't they weren't pushy. Um, I'd say they were they were hungry, and I didn't ask the direct question, but perhaps they were a little bit behind in their monthly monthly quota, monthly target. Hence, there was a bit of a, a sense of urgency to try and get a decision from me to be fast tracked as quickly as possible. But I must say they weren't they weren't dodgy, and I certainly didn't get. Um, the feeling of they were, they were being really pushy to the point where I was going to uh, not purchase that particular car. But so despite all of that check-in, and I'm sure that a lot of other people would just be really annoyed with so many check-ins from, from people, but it didn't really bother me because maybe I was just understanding the fact that and empathizing with the fact that they were in sales and I was in sales and this is just how it's done to try and get the uh, get the decision uh, because they, they believed that I had a problem to solve and I knew I had a problem to solve and I'd selected the car that was going to solve my problem. So once I did make that final buying decision, uh, they were obviously ecstatic. And I went inside the contract, very happy, shook the hands, and uh, then crickets. The phone went silent. In fact, uh, I didn't hear from them again. And even when I went back to pick up the car, and I think from memory it was about eight weeks later, because it had to be uh, manufactured and there was a few extras that had to be thrown in, and then uh, they had to be shipped out to Australia. Now, even then, I didn't see either of the sales manager or the salesperson on pickup. And it was only about a few years later that I did bump into the salesperson when I took the car back for a service, and he didn't even acknowledge me. In fact, I don't even know whether he knew who I was or even recognized me. So obviously to him, I was a transaction to reach his monthly sales quota, and some would say a typical sales person. Now, unfortunately, now this is by no means you know blowing blowing smoke, but this is the this is a mistake that a lot of salespeople make in that they look at the sale they do and they the person they've done a transaction with, and they leave it there. They do not continue to build a relationship. Now, unfortunately, what this person this salesperson either didn't know or he chose to ignore was that the post-the-sale presented an opportunity for him and a massive opportunity for him for the sale to be really made. If he had have matched his pre-sales enthusiasm with a level of post-sales attention, he may have discovered that within my network, there were at least, at that time, back in 2008, there was at least five people who were in the buying cycle for a brand new vehicle. Not to mention that within three to five years, I was probably going to be in a brand new buying cycle as well. So instead of paying some attention to that and thinking about, mm, he could have actually generated some significant ongoing sales and not to mention some ongoing referrals, instead he chose to ignore me and I got crickets. And here's what I do know because this particular salesperson is not alone. This particular salesperson is across many, many different industries and I know what he would have had to have done the following month in order to hit his sales quota. And it would have been chasing up, chasing up, prospecting, checking in, trying to get somebody to make a decision versus spending time on the existing customers who had converted and looking at how they can build a relationship and through that process, build a higher level of trust. Now, I always bang on about this concept of the impression of increase and this is another classic example where the impression of increase is incredibly important. If this particular person had have actually spent some more time post the sale, getting to know me a little bit more, or even just a simple thing like checking in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks after the purchase 
of the car four weeks after I'd picked up the car just to check in to see how the car was going to see how comfortable I was with the car to see if everything was okay compared to when I when I when I test drove the car those months beforehand he didn't do that and it would have been such a simple thing for him to do because that keeps him top of mind for me and through that process it would have been also easy just to ask the question hey based on your experience with us and based on how well you like the car and how well it's performing is there anybody else within your network who may be in a buying cycle who might be interested in maybe looking at a new car if so love to have a conversation with them now none of that happened because he actually didn't follow up at all and this is why the sale begins after the sale is made so why is this such an important concept to consider? Because as a salesperson, we must understand that people like to do business with people who they know, who they like and who they trust. And if we look at a potential customer as a transaction, whilst we may win in the short term, in terms of a short term deal, if we do not continue to invest in a value-based relationship post the sale, we will miss out on significant future opportunities. And this is for every single salesperson out there, whether you're selling widgets, whether you're selling strategic planning, whether you're selling multi-million dollar pieces of um, electronics, whatever the case might be, you've always got to remember that the sale begins after the sale is made. So this week, as we wrap up this particular episode, consider your current approach to sales. Are you looking at your customer as a transaction or are you considering the lifetime value of your customer? If you focus on the latter, you will begin to appreciate that the sale actually doesn't start until after the sale is made. And what you'll actually start to create also is an impression in the eyes of that particular customer that not only do I have somebody who is prepared to provide a solution to a problem, they are not somebody who is trying to flog me a product and then go on to the next customer. They're looking at the after sales component to it as well, which starts to build authenticity and it starts to build trust. So that is the name of the game. Remember this, that your sale actually begins after the sale is made. So on this Monday, 26th of June, trust that message hits you just at the right time, particularly as we ramp up to the end of the financial year for many organizations. And if not, it's certainly the end of the quarter. So trust that is of value and it trust as a reminder that uh, as we get to the pointy end of the month, uh, just remember, yes, we've got to get our numbers in, but also don't do it at the expense of long-term strategic relationships. So with that said, if you'd like to have a conversation about potentially me working with you to help you become an exceptional sales leader, or if you've got some uh, opportunities potentially where you'd like your team to expand their capabilities, love to have a conversation with you. Simply go to leadwithdarren.com, pick a time, we'll jump on the fabulous Zoom, have a conversation about where you and your team are currently at and what you're looking to achieve over the next three to six months. And then we can map out a plan and start the execution process as soon as possible. So very much look forward to that conversation. Thank you once again for plugging into the podcast and as always look forward to sharing with you on the very next episode of the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.